This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, coming at you guys, getting ready for Week 12, Browns hosting the Dolphins, and what should be a fantastic opportunity for the Browns to get right on the offensive side of the football. Before we talk about personnel, let's talk about all-time matchup here. 19 times these two teams have faced off. The uh, Dolphins dominated things um, up until 2004, then the Browns went on a nice little four-game winning streak in 05, 07, 10, and 11. And then the Dolphins have won the last two, 2013. They won 23 to 10. And then Miami won the most recent matchup, 2016, in Miami, 30 to 24 in overtime. So this will be matchup number 20 between the two teams. Should be uh, should be quite interesting, in my opinion, to see where this game goes because there's a lot of circus floating around between the Miles Garrett, um, you know, as he had his suspension hearing today. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, as you heard, had his suspension upheld for one game so the Browns are certainly trending toward Olivier Vernon being out which is 70% of their pass rush will be um, out of this game and should sort of balance things out for the Dolphins who are really bad up front but if Cleveland's not bringing three of their best weapons up front three of their top four best weapons it should balance things out and give um, Ryan Fitzpatrick a pretty good opportunity let's look at some pretty interesting numbers here the Dolphins like I said lead all time nine to eight Cleveland's outscored Miami 335 to 322. It's been a streak series. Um, Cleveland, like I said, has won four before 2000, um, you know, 2012, but the Dolphins have won the last two. Nine of the 17 regular season games between these two teams are decided by seven points or less. So um, if history tells us anything, it's going to be a close game. This is the eighth time at 11 meetings the game takes place in Cleveland. This will be the sixth time the Dolphins have faced the Browns in the month of November. The NFL has a weird thing with scheduling this in November, 1976, 1979, 86, 90, and 2005. Dolphins' 30-24 victory in 2016 was the third time they'd played an overtime game against the Browns, 79 and 89, and then, like I said, 2016. And the Dolphins' record for the longest field goal ever, 60-yarder, was kicked against the Browns in 2010 by Dan Carpenter, if you remember that name. So some interesting little anecdotes there um, on this matchup and, and these two teams. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that these Dolphins come into this game with two wins, and I think that's pretty interesting considering how depleted this roster is. I mean, their two wins are against the Jets, who are pretty bad in their own right, and the Redskins, but it just makes you think back to the 0-16 2017 season for Cleveland and uh, – you know, it's pretty jaw-dropping to think of, of how that team with Cleveland with more talent would have went 0-16, um, but that's a conversation for another day. So let's shift our 
uh, point of conversation here to you know statistics personnel. They they start like I said, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's two and five on the year. He's coordinated their two wins. Um, you know, 160 of 253, 63 completion percentage, 1,687 yards, eight touchdowns, eight picks. Will, if given time, uh, be able to complete throws and make plays as a sitting duck back there? If he's pressured, he goes downhill immediately, takes sacks, interceptions. So generating pressure on Fitzpatrick is important. Josh Rosen has started three games for them. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield's 2018 quarterback class comrade there. Uh, he's 0-3 in his three starts. Um, 53% completion, only 567, a touchdown and five picks. So I don't know what his future there is. It does not look very promising. Running game wise, um, it's it's just it's an absolute mess. Their their top rusher that is going to be active for this game has run for 122 yards on the season. Um, three touchdowns for Kalen Balage, 64 attempts, only averaging 1.9 yards per attempt. Mark Walton was their leading rusher, um, but he has been arrested recently. Kenyon Drake um, was traded away to Arizona, so they're just Kalen Balaj, And then um, Patrick Laird might be their next back in place. He only has three carries on the year. I don't know. It's anemic. They should not be able to run the ball whatsoever. If you allow them to run the football, that's pretty, that's pretty terrible. Um, I don't really have anything else to say other than that would just be be bad because they're putting up historically terrible rushing numbers. Receiving yards, um, they are led by um, Devontae Parker, who seems to finally be having a solid year. 40 catches, 604 yards, four touchdowns. Preston Williams was our second leading, but he was just placed on IR, so his um, season has been uh, effectively ended. Alan Hearns has 17 catches for 223 and a touchdown. And then um, Albert Wilson will present a threat, 14 catches for 84 yards and a touchdown. And Jakeem Grant will also be a threat. Tight ends-wise, Mike Jacecki, um, you know, the young t- uh, Penn State product, has 28 catches, 294 on the year, no touchdowns. He'll be a middle-of-the-field problem. They will also have Nick O'Leary, uh, Florida State tight end, who is a blocking um, you know, blocking piece for them. Up front, no names that anybody really knows. Julian Davenport, terrible left tackle. We'll talk about some of these guys. Jesse Davis, their right tackle. Evan Baum, their third or sorry, their right guard, uh, Daniel Kilgore, Michael Dieter, anchor in the middle. It's not a good group. The Browns should be able, even with mostly their backups, be able to create some pressure. Um, defensively for the Dolphins, it's Jerome Baker leading them with 73 tackles. Ohio State product, Raquan McMillan with 55 tackles. They have only generated um, 13 sacks on the year, four sacks for Taco Charlton, but not effective pressure guy. Uh, the, the, the Michigan product, Central Ohio product leading them. Vince Beagle has two sacks. Um, you know, Davin Godchow has one sack. I, it's, it's not good. They, they only have, um, Bobby McCain, their safety, who they just put on IR, um, to join Xavier Howard and their beat up and depleted secondary had two picks, but there's six total interceptions on the year. They're just, it's not a good defense, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I'm pretty stout studying the NFL, and I, I look at this, and I, I'm, <laughs> I, there are some names on here that I'm not all too familiar with, so I'm going to be watching with intent to see who Miami has of promise, and, um, and, and just try to pay attention to where they're going. They do have Christian Wilkins, their first round pick, um, Clemson product, who's of interest, but after that, it's a mixed bag. Walt Aikens is one of their free safeties. Um, Eric Rowe is their other strong safety. They're just they're so depleted um, in terms of their secondary with Rashad Jones and and Bobby McCain and 
Xavier Howard and and the and the whole gang being on IR, it's uh, it's it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. We'll leave it at that. I think this is a game, like I said, where the Browns have no excuse not to win by a couple, three touchdowns. They're, I believe, upward of a ten and a half point favorite at home, and that sounds right. But I'll tell you what, this Dolphins team scraps. Uh, they really do. They they obviously got they got beat. Um, uh, by the Bills, but it's not an indictment of where they're at. I think they're playing really hard for Brian Flores, their head coach, and um, even that game, 37-20, but they had won two in a row before that, 16-12 and uh, 26-18 over the Jets and, um, and and Colts, obviously going to get in a big upset over the Colts. They lost the Redskins game. I was wrong earlier, a close game. They could have three wins. Uh, the Pittsburgh game, they took that lead early and really controlled that game for about a half, and then um, you know, kind of fold it. And if you recall, too, if, if you paid any attention, so they put a threat on Pittsburgh. They put a threat on Buffalo in Buffalo in week seven. They ended up losing 31-21, but they were up in that game and they were driving before an interception sort of changed the course of that game. It could have been a three-score Buffalo lead. Instead, it was an interception that was returned and sort of changed the course of that game. So after the bye week, they've really been playing good football and have been in most of the games on their schedule and have hung around despite the talent not being there. So this is a game for the Browns that has some dangerous elements to it. If they're going to sleepwalk and try to think they're just going to coast to a victory, you hope that they get um, some of that Miami south to north travel. That can help them a little bit. And Cleveland has a heightened awareness due to the suspensions and all of the fallout from all of that. I see a team that needs a win. If you lose this game somehow, your season's over, and I think it puts a lot of the coaching staff in jeopardy because this would be an ultimately um, messy home loss in terms of where the Dolphins are talent-wise and where the Browns are. Even without Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi, Olivier Vernon, it is a talent mismatch all over the board. So Cleveland has to make sure they take care of business. Um, and, and, I, and I'm really hoping that they do so. Before we get to our guests, I'm going to talk to you guys about Untuck It. Big believer in Untuck It in terms of casual um, button-down shirts that I think are uh, they're tough to find. I think it's tough to find button-down shirts that if you take them out of a tucked-in position, they don't look really kind of goofy or they hang too low. They don't make them custom to fit for men. They make them kind of general sizes. And I think that's where Untuck It really does a great job. And with the holidays coming up, um, you know, gifts need to be given or you need to uh, potentially buy something to wear to Thanksgiving or wear to Christmas get-togethers. And uh, what better way to do it than going with Untuck It? They do a great job. Um, they're here for the original button-down shirt that's designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall to a perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, like I said, guys, there's no better gift to give somebody who you're close with or, um, you know, purchase for yourself to wear to those gatherings. So, um, you know, with 50 fit combinations, untuck it shirts look great on tall, short, slim, or athletic guys of all ages. I have a sort of boxier frame that is uh, very broad shouldered. They did a nice job of curtailing a perfect fit for me that doesn't hang down past, um, you know, past that perfect length, right about pocket length. And um, they, they really customize it for you. And I think that's why I'm a big believer in them. So you can find your untuck a style online. Or you can go to one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website's easy to use. They have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, go to untuckit.com today. Use the promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com. 
promo code BLUE gets you 20% off your order. Okay, we are going to jump over to our guest. Um, not a Miami-focused guest, but certainly somebody who I think will give us good insight on a couple interesting topics, uh, topic points on the Browns, and then give us some insights on uh, Miami, too. I think you guys will really enjoy this. So let's get over to our guest. Okay, so the Browns obviously have Miami this week. I'm fascinated from afar to see how they do with their abundance of picks, but I didn't really want to dive too deep into into Miami. I want to really, we'll talk about Miami, but I want to talk about the Browns and some talking points that I think are important going into this week because I think this week is more about Cleveland than it is about Miami because if Cleveland handles business, they should be fine. So I thought I'd talk to my man, my friend, John Costco, Pro Football Focus, Data Analysis, all of it, quarterback study, the guru. How are you, man? Great, Jake. How are you doing? I'm okay. Hanging in there. We are uh, we're at an interesting point in the season. You and I have had numerous conversations throughout the year about our thoughts on a lot of this stuff that's going on with Cleveland. And um, I said, hey, man, let's talk on the podcast. I just want to shoot the shit about where they are in your opinion and um, throw some topics at you. We'll see if they stick to the wall. So my first one is... I think I've heard uh, some pretty good argumentative points about where the Rams are, you know, with, with giving out, um, you know, what's probably going to be six massive contracts, five or six massive contracts, and then sort of trying to supplement those massive contracts with, um, you know, a lack of draft picks. They don't have many, I don't think they have any first round picks for a little while here, a couple drafts at least, and they've traded some other, um, you know, picks. They're, they're short on picks. So it's like with, with that method in mind, the Rams were sort of the, the, you know, everyone was trying to emulate them last year. Now it's you look at the Rams and you're like, where are these guys going? They don't have the necessary resources. And I'm not saying Cleveland's there, but specifically when I look at the Rams, I look at the contract that they gave Jared Goff and that Jared Goff is going to be the biggest cap hole in the NFL next year as it currently sits. And I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, Jared hasn't played well. Now the line in front of him has been terrible. They've been beat up. I get that. But he hasn't played well. And in, in, um, it's sort of hot take-ish to say that maybe the Rams gave him the worst contract in the league right now. Not that I necessarily agree with that, but I think it's an interesting talking point. So it brought me back to Baker, and um, you had a guy who, who if, you know, for the most part, at least down the stretch of the first half of it, or sorry, of the second half of his rookie year, lit it up um, and, and was really phenomenal in terms of what we would project as a guy down the road is going to be an elite top five quarterback in the league. Now, year two happens. We've seen some regression. We've seen some things happen. They played great defenses. Don't get me wrong, but there has been some regression that has gone on that is undeniable. So my question would be, as it sits today, John, you are other John, John Dorsey, in his seat. Are you going to look at extending Baker prior to maybe season four, or are you going to look at maybe letting him play out his entire rookie contract or at least close to that fifth-year option? Like, where are you on Baker Mayfield right now? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, um, good talking point, because you look at – I mean, you look at what the Rams did, right? They obviously went to the Super Bowl last year, and it was because of their passing game that they did so well, and Jared Goff did play really well last year. But – he played much better in the first half of the season than he did in the second half of the season. And his overall grade, you know, throughout the whole season was good. It was an 84.3. And you look at it from, from rookie to then, it looked like, all right, he's on a good trajectory. He's keep he's improving. Um, and he looks like he, you know, he might take the next step. But unfortunately, you know, kind of his grade is, and stuff like that is good play. He was playing good last year, don't get me wrong, but I don't think it was as good as, 
maybe the, the num- numbers showed um, because yeah. the first, you know, first four games, he had two games that were like 94.5 and a 96.3, like monster games early in the year. And he never got back to that level. Obviously, it's really difficult to do so. But um, so I think they gave him that contract a year too early. I think you w- wanted to see. All right, let's let's just wait. I think they kind of did it because, you know, Carson Wentz got that deal, too. So they're like, all right, we got to hurry up and do it because because Carson Wentz did it. Whereas like Dallas, who has the quarterback now that's playing the best best ball of all those three guys, you know, in that draft class, he's playing the best at the position this year. Uh, but they didn't give him an extension. They, they're waiting and seeing to see what you know what they, he can, how he can you know progress. He's a lot better at the line of scrimmage this year. He's taking care of the football. Whereas Jared Goff and Carson Wentz both have taken step backs this year after getting those those big contracts. So when you look at it with Baker. Obviously last year, you know I was a huge huge supporter of Baker last year when especially early in the year where the team wasn't winning games and the stats weren't there because the process by which the stats weren't happening. He was actually making good pro- process. He was making good reads. He was making a lot of big time throws. He was taking care of the football in general. Uh, but the receivers he was throwing the balls to were, were dropping it, running the wrong routes, a lot more so than they are this year. Whereas this year, and then in the second half of the year, it, you know, Freddie took over and everything for whatever reason kind of just came together. The receivers started catching the ball. I think this, you know, the, obviously the scheme was a little bit better. So this year they've taken a, he's taken a big step back. You know, you who knows what's going to happen next year. You know, if he takes that next step or whatever that you would hope, I think you have to still wait and see. But like, when you look at like what the just team, what teams do in general, I think you you can't put all your chips into the basket at the quarterback position until you're 100 percent certain that he's the guy. And by that, like you look at a Russell Wilson who early in his career, you know, he took the team to the to the playoffs his rookie year. He won the Super Bowl in his second year, went back to the Super Bowl in his third year. I think when you when you do that, you you kind of like you know, and then they you know they obviously would reward him for a contract, but at least with a first round player, you got that extra year to kind of decide. So there's no reason to make that decision before the fourth year. You can do it after because you always have the fifth year option. But usually by the fourth year, you're gonna make you're gonna have that decision. You're gonna all right. You're gonna be you're our guy or you're not. And I think you, you wait an extra, an extra year. Don't do it before that third year. Cause really you want to make sure that you're right at that position. If you put hundred, you know, $30 million at that position, that's obviously it's a huge chunk of the, the salary cap. Yeah. Specifically with, with, uh, with, with Baker, I think, you know, if he continued his trajectory, his upward trend, his, his, uh, his climb that I think so many of us thought was going to happen, uh, I think it would have been a situation where after year three, they they probably do extend him. It, it, It'd be a no-brainer. Yeah, it would absolutely be a no-brainer. I think that this has thrown a wrench into things that I, I do hope the Browns take the patient route. And listen, I would say that you and I were two of the staunchest reporters, or sorry, strong, or stronger supporters of Baker going into that draft. There were others, but I know that we had plenty of discourse about who we thought was a guy. And I, I'm not saying that as somebody who is, uh, you know, an anti-Baker guy going into this draft, this this 2018 draft, or, you know, his situation. I'm, I'm, but I'm saying something that 
I need to kind of put my foot on the brake here a little bit because we need to see it. We need to see him be able to calm down a little bit in the pocket. We need to see him be able to work read to read. We need to see him to be able to understand when blitzes are coming and where his answers are and all of those things. And and those things could come. It's not been a good year of it this year. Those things could still come. He's done. Uh, he's had a better stretch here, and he should have an even. He should have an even better stretch as the year ends because of who they play. And uh, I think specifically year three will be interesting for me because. I, I highly doubt they'll run into the gauntlet of really good defenses like they have, but they will need him to be better. There's no doubt about that. So, um, you know, we're entertaining this extremely early, but I'm also interested in where people sit on it because it's uh, it's going to be here before we know it. And the, the idea that, that most of these, you know, like I would imagine Deshaun Watson will get an extension and I would imagine Patrick Mahomes gets a relatively lucrative extension too. And those guys are taking just a draft before him. So it's something that the Browns are going to be looking at. Otherwise, with this team, um, you know, uh, I guess let me let, let, let's talk defensive line. Um, you know, Miles is in New York, obviously getting his uh, suspension appealed. I, I don't, I still don't think he's back this year, but I think he gets a little bit clearer answer on next year. Where do they, where do they turn for pressure? In your opinion, you're looking at this thing. How do they figure out ways to get after the quarterback a little bit? They don't play anybody really phenomenal the rest of the way other than Lamar Jackson. But if they're if they're going to try to get pressure, where are they getting it from? Yeah, you're going to pray that Olivia Vernon comes back this week. Um, it's not as vital as important this week because they're playing the Miami Dolphins. But you, you need him back and you need him back ASAP because uh, Miles Garrett's pass rush grade of 91.6 was second best at edge defender in the entire NFL um you know I had 49 total pressures and you know I know his frustration probably stemmed from him not having a sack in three straight games whereas like a Chad Thomas who had three total pressures and two of them were converted into sacks in the past two games so you know it's like it's one of those things where uh obviously you watch the game you saw Miles Garrett wreck offense alignment uh but never get that you know that sack that he, you know, every, every defensive lineman wants, but you hope that Olivia Vernon comes back. Sheldon Richardson has actually been playing really well as of late. Um, he's not racking up this, the, the total pressures, but he does have 33 pressures on the year in the, uh, sorry, 23 pressures on the year. Uh, last two games, he has eight total pressures. He's got, uh, and one hit. So he's, he's been a lot more productive as of late. Uh, he's been all around really solid there. So I think he's a guy that uh, will have to, again, carry this defensive line, you know, uh, especially with now without that Miles Garrett. Hopefully you get Olivia uh, Vernon back. Um, you want to see um, Chad Thomas and Larry Ogunjobi and you know, whoever else they put out there at, at defensive end and defensive line to, to get some type of pressure. But they're going to have to start manufacturing it, essentially, because those guys don't get it on a consistent basis um Ogunjobi is basically an undersized nose tackle at this point uh for whatever reason he decided to lose weight and and look like a more of like a three tech instead of a nose tackle and he's not the the refined skillman uh that you need at the three tech and then he's no longer big enough to be a nose tackle so yeah you get Taki Taki in there you get Joe Schobert in there both those guys are excellent blitzers because both of them were edge defenders in college and then uh, Joe Schobert, you know, converted the linebacker after like his, he was a, he still was an edge defender his rookie year and then yeah. converted the linebacker. So like he has all the skills you need. Obviously, he's not the, the size you'd want as a 
uh, edge defender, but he's great blitzer. He knows how to win uh, when he does rush because he, he does do that very effectively, and so does Taki Taki. Taki uh, Taki Yami only has 17 snaps on this year, but they've been a very productive 17 snaps, and his, his grade is a, an 80.3. So I think you can get him to manufacture some pressure there, and so you have to be creative with the blitzes and stuff like that. So that you know you you miss you miss a guy like uh, you know you know Jannard Avery, who uh, you know he only has 13 snaps with Philly, but in those 13 snaps has an 85.6 grade. Unfortunately, he is gone. So. You're just gonna have to continually do creative things to, to generate that pressure without Miles Garrett. And I actually do think that his suspension is gonna be four games, but that's just a gut feeling, and I don't know why. I hope so. They have the right. Uh, they have the right argument in place. It seems like he's left there, and it was a short meeting. And I, I don't know. Maybe I hope you're right. I really do. It's it's unfortunate. It shouldn't be that long. There's no reason for it. So um, yeah, I've been with you. I've been with you in the fact that. Uh, Joe is an effective rusher from different areas on the field, whether from depth, whether from the, whether from the edge, uh, pre-snap, or, or you know, working in some sort of twist scheme where he's looping around some 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 crashing DND tackle combination. He is a guy they'll have to use, and you're right, they're going to have to simulate pressure. They're going to have to bring blitzes from different areas, you know, manipulate protection, get the quarterback to slide, and then bring a blitz opposite that slide. All of that stuff. So I hope they can do that, and I think Steve Wilkes has been a little bit better with that lately. So hope they keep it up. So we'll turn our attention to the Dolphins, um, who who are not very good. Um, they've won. Have they won a couple games now? They've they've won two, right? Am I losing my yeah, mind? Yeah, they won. They won two in a row. They've won, yeah, they two, won in two in a row. row. Oh, okay. Well, um, they're 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 a two win football team who is clearly in a rebuild. Who's going to try to, um, you know, the, the getting two wins with this roster. And you think about twenty seventeen, but that's another topic. Um, the the thing that's <laughs> the thing that's interesting with Miami is they they have some pieces um, some 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 things that can scare you Albert Wilson Jakeem Grant can run um, both of those guys can move Devontae Parker's been a little bit better correct me if I'm wrong offensively than he has been in years past yes no yes okay yeah, yeah he has been he okay. definitely has been he's uh, he's graded at a seventy which is a solid and a receiver is seventy one point two so I mean that's a solid grade for especially for a team that just doesn't have much of anything. Yeah, and I mean they have Mike Jacecki too, the tight end, young tight end from from Penn State, and they start Ryan Fitzpatrick. So they're going to have to throw the football because they they lost uh, the degenerate Mark Walton, who has uh, has been arrested five times and punched a pregnant woman, and um, not that he was a big factor in their run game, but they they don't have much. They traded away Kenyon Drake, and they only have this Kalen Balash, who's been pretty terrible, one of the worst yards per carry guy in the league this year. So they're going to have to throw, and then, I mean, you know, up front, it's a it's a mixed bag of names that I, I couldn't tell you any of them. Other than Julian Davenport, their left tackle, who I knew was terrible in Houston, who was involved in that trade uh, that sent Laramie Tunzel that way. I, I mean, where where are they offensively? What do you, what do you think they're going to do, John, to attack Cleveland? Uh, well, they're going to have to try to throw the ball uh, because, like you said, they do not have a running attack at all, um, you know, they they just do not generate yards on the ground. I know that they want to, but they're just not going to be able to. Even with the the Browns' de, uh, you know defense isn't the greatest, but it's you know stop and run by any means. But uh, really, like they they just don't have any. They, their offensive linemen are terrible run blockers, um, and then their their running backs just don't generate any missed tackles or anything like that. So um, you got Ryan Fitzpatrick who 
can sling it and you've seen it before where i mean he's going to be it's feast or famine he can either he can either put up like a 95 pff grade which he did in back-to-back weeks last last year with uh tampa bay it was the the two highest graded game stretch we've ever graded from a quarterback or he can stink it up and and you know throw a 46.0 or something like that where he's just missing everything and uh, you, you know he's been kind of like that up and down guy this year and and so if he can put on a uh, a game like he did against the Jets this year where he his passing grade was a 90.6 and he basically won him that game um, you, I mean the Browns can be in trouble and he has the, the capabilities of doing that but I think you know most games he's probably gonna throw the game away rather than win it for you um, and so I think that's where the the game could be won or lost based on how good he is um, I, and the Browns can do things to obviously, you know, get them under pressure, uh, pre- play press man with Greedy and Ward, and they'll do a lot of things to, to confuse him and at least get pressure on him because that offensive line is really bad. They they don't really have – I mean, their highest graded uh, pass blocker is Nick O'Leary, their tight end, and then the two and three are Kalen Balaj and Miles Gaskin. So then their best – lineman that's a as a pass protector is daniel kilgore at 70.8 so like they all their guys are just really poor uh protecting uh the passer in, in the game in the you know pass game so they should be able to generate pressure regardless of who's going after the quarterback um and then you know outside of you know Devonte parker they just don't have the weapons on the outside and Preston williams has some has some good game you know good games and here and there same with uh mike kosicki but Really, they just they don't have the firepower to hang with the Browns, or at least they shouldn't. Yeah, and then they just lost, uh, um, you know, Preston to to injury, so they're even shorter handed away. Oh man, receiver. I didn't hear that. Yeah, he had, he had some something season ending. I can't remember. I know he's on the IR, but yeah, it should. I mean, there's no reason. I think if you if, but I, I will say this: if you allow Ryan Fitzpatrick to feel comfortable um, and know what you're doing on a down to down basis, I think he has the ability to, like you said, John, get into a groove. And uh, find consistent holes in your defense. These are still NFL players. I mean, well, these are guys right. who can who can make plays if you allow them to make plays and you play on your heels and just sort of sit back. I think that they they will take advantage of it. So I, if it were me, I would be trying to put some pressure on him as creatively as I can and as deceptively as I can, um, because like you said, he he can pick you apart if you're feeling. Um, you know, sorry if he has a feeling for what you're doing. So that yep. part of it does scare me. You know, any any given couple, week. Go ahead. Yeah, a couple of grades here. So clean from pressure. His off his grade is an 89. Yeah. When he's pressured, it's a 52.4. Yeah. When you when you don't blitz him, it's a 77.8. But when you do blitz him, it's a 67.2. So you've got to blitz him and you've got to get the pressure on him. And you and he's gonna he's going to throw mistakes if you if you're able to do that when when he's clean from pressure he can pick you apart like you said yeah I think I think that'll be vital it'll be important and like like any quarterback I shouldn't especially in the NFL with how much time you have to prep and how deceptive you can be with your athletes do not make him comfortable knowing where the pressure is coming from keep that pressure deceptive double a gap them occasionally all the stuff they've been doing lately to play a little bit better I'm okay with them continuing to do and uh, and trust your young corners to get it done. Defensively, there are some names. If you're a Buckeye fan, they got Raekwon McMillan and Jerome Baker, who who anchor the middle of their defense. Um, they 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 do not have Xavier um, um, Howard. Rashad Jones, he's yeah. injured. Yeah, Rashad Jones Both and Xavier yeah. Howard. Yeah, they're pretty beat up defensively. If I if I understand right. this correctly, they're they're pretty beat up. But they have some guys. You know, Christian Wilkins is a player. 
Um, young guy, I'm not sure how well he's playing this year, but he was their first round pick. I mean, where I mean, I think you said we talked before. You said they're overachieving a little bit. How's the defense playing? Yeah, I mean, they are overachieving for especially what they they have. I mean, grade wise, Nick Needham is a cornerback for them that's grading out really well. Um, John Jenkins is playing well for them on the defensive line. Um, the you know, like you said about Christian Wilkins, he's been up and down this year, but he he's still a really good player has a lot of talent Devon Godchow is, is another guy that that's a pretty solid player for the money interior but um really yeah like they they don't have like the household names by any mean um you know like you said Graquan McMillan he's a solid linebacker for the, linebacker for them uh, they've recently uh, you know acquired Taco Charlton he does have four sacks but he's still you know, there's a reason why Dallas got rid of him he's now only for with them he's only grading at a 49.7 so it's not like a they have all this firepower on defense, but they have played, you know, some tough competition, on, uh, you know, throughout the year because, you know, we have a our rankings of opponent adjusted, but which bases on, on how well the, the opponents have played you, um, and and whatnot, and their their defensive rankings at 16th. So it's not a, it's, they don't have the big names, and they don't have guys that are grading out at extremely high levels like you know we had the Browns, but Miles Garrett grading in you know upper 80s. Um, Livy Vernon in the lower 80s, you know, Denzel Ward has come back, has, has graded out really well since then. Um, but they they play, you know, they just don't have the whole talent on that defense and it can be picked apart. Um, and, you know, they went up against the first three games of the year when when the, the Ravens came out of the, you know, the gates on fire. Uh, and you obviously see how they're playing now. The, the Patriots came out of the gates on fire and so did Dallas Cowboys. Those are their first three games. And so it made their, you know, you look at those three games and it made them look a lot worse than I think what they actually are. Mm-hmm. But they're still not great. So I think I think it's a, it's a team that you should be able to pick apart, but um, they're, they're not as bad as what you would assume. Yeah, I would say this is the ultimate game that if you're going to it as a Browns fan, you're going to need a program because you're going to need a roster. Like, I consider myself relatively well-versed in the NFL. I mean, I, I'm consistently following it, and there are some names on here that I'm like, um, okay, yeah, don't don't have any idea. So I would I would suggest that. But at the end of the day, like John said, these guys are playing better. Um, you know, they are they're certainly, uh, you know, winning a couple games with this roster is 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 all the more credit Flores needs for doing a decent job with with is a, a difficult situation, which was a clear painted on the wall. We're rebuilding and we're collecting assets, and um, they've still been able to fight. And this is where they they get off is is. You know, they have NFL talent, but teams look at them like almost uh, Big Ten Rutgers, where you just don't feel like you have to play. And if you do that and you go into this game with this idea, we don't have to put forth maximum effort, we'll just win by showing up on the field, that's when you get beat, and this Miami team can beat you. So I'm sure that's the focal point this week of talking about, um, you know, in in Berea, is that they have to they have to be ready to play. They have to be able to understand where the weapons are. They have to be able to get pressure on Fitzpatrick. You have to be able to put downfield pressure on them in the passing game, getting Odell loose, um, trying to spring David Njoku. Hopefully we'll be back Sunday as he's practicing today. We'll see. I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a good little test for where Cleveland is, if they're going to be able to rise up and meet this challenge when they're shorthanded. Hopefully there's heightened awareness knowing that they're going to be missing two players likely for this game. They are, uh, they're all going to step up and rise to the challenge, and it should be interesting. But I want to thank John for his time. Uh, make sure you're following John at John Costco three. If you're following him, 
Um, you're doing it right. If you're not, please rectify that mistake. He's one of the best guys covering the Browns. He'll give you good tidbits about what's going on. And obviously, um, if you're not, if you're a big avid football fan or even a novice football fan, you want to learn more, go uh, go get a subscription with Pro Football Focus. It's the best data metric tool that's out there for understanding football and giving it a holistic view and understanding what's going on at uh, even the micro level with player to player, down to down stuff. So I can't uh, I can't thank John enough. I appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, my pleasure, Jake. Yeah, of course. Guys, um, you know, we, we need to continue to plug along here. Um, we're, we're reaching sort of a what should be a fun time. We're reaching a time when the Browns uh, should have a shot to win several games in a row. It should be a fun time to follow the offense as they should be able to get on track and hopefully the defense can rise up. I need you to know I appreciate you following along with everything we do at uh, the Browns Film Breakdown podcast here, following us on iTunes, subscribing, leaving a comment about the podcast even on Twitter, hopping on, letting me know people you want to chat with. I always appreciate all of that feedback. We will, as usual, be back Sunday. I think the most of the games on the schedule the rest of the year are 1 o'clock games, so I can stop podcasting at 2 a.m., have a little bit more energy. That would be cool. So we'll be back Sunday. We'll give a breakdown of hopefully a Browns win. And um, until then, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.